Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. Alex, who have we got on today? Well, you know we did Sweden the other week. Sweden. Yes, we did. We have to do some other countries in Scandinavia. So we're doing Finland today. We've got with us Lawrence Robinson. He's originally from the Isle of Man, but he lives in Finland now. Apparently, everyone who moves to Finland does so for love, he's just told us. Uh, but he, he runs a podcast called Finland at War, and we're going to talk about... We thought we could just jump into the straight into the Winter War, but then everyone does that. Something completely different today. We're going to talk about the Kinship Wars, which happened um, sort of at the end of World War One. Lawrence, how are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. Thanks for having me here. It's brilliant what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Uh, how is lockdown in Finland? Uh, it's not been too bad. Like we locked down the capital, uh, the capital region last month, and basically the rest of Finland's been sort of free. So we've been very lucky, I suppose. Hell yeah! Sounds like it. Um, yeah. Let's let's just start off. Can you tell us a bit first of all, because I know this is going to come into play about the rise of Finnish nationalism. Well, see, it kind of goes from when when Finland first became sort of like its first taste of independence way back in 1809 uh, after the the Finnish war between the Russian Empire and and the Swedish Empire. And what happened was the the Finns were granted this uh, autonomy under under the Tsar and were allowed to have their own diet and were allowed to have their own uh, sort of identity. To, and the idea was that the Russians were trying to get them away from the Swedish, um, like this, this sort of Swedish friendliness, sort of like seeing themselves as Swedes. And so slowly over time, this, is, this nationalism grew and you get Tsar Alexander II, who in Finland is known as the liberator uh, because he, he allowed them to have their own currency and their, like their own railways, their own industry. They were allowed to freely trade with other countries. And out of this, it sort of slowly grew that the Finns became actually how they became Finns and saw themselves as Finnish people. So tell us about, then you have, so they have this autonomy under Russia, but there's unrest in the wake of the Russo-Japanese war, isn't there? And then they end up divided during the First World War. Yeah, like what happens is you get after after Zarak Alexander II passes, uh, you get the his son Alexander III uh, comes in and he sort of starts putting these breaks on the reforms that were happening. But it wasn't until Tsar Nicholas II basically came in and was like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna stop you. You guys are not gonna be Finns anymore. You're gonna be Russians." And this sort of happens in 1899, 1900. Uh, and the Finns at first start uh, doing this passive resistance, like uh, refusing to, to, to go to the conscription, uh, refusing to use the Russian language in schools. 
But some of these resistance groups that happened, like some of them wanted to become more proactive, more aggressive. And as the, the Russo-Japanese war came, you actually got the, the Japanese had agents that set up arms deals with, with Finns and they used, they, they went through London and you, you get these like Swiss rifles turning up in, in, in Finland crossing the border from Sweden. Uh, there's a, there's a very famous ship that turns up, um, off the coast of, uh, Pietasari, uh, carrying a few thousand, uh, rifles. And all the, all these things start happening and, and, and the Japanese are the ones that are sort of provoking this, this resistance to become more, like, to become more aggressive. You see assassinations, you see bombings. So it, it gets a bit, gets a bit more aggressive at this point. Can you outline for us uh, a bit more of some of their motivations. I mean, what do they actually want? Well, I guess, like, I, I think that the a lot of people, like, there's this romanticism now that the Finns were always wanting to be independent and solely independent. But what, what we see, especially at the beginning of the First World War, when, when Russia goes to war and mobilizes, the Finns don't go, okay, we're going to be, we want to be Finns, we want to be alone. The a lot of the Finnish people decide that they're going to back up the, the government and you, you see a big uh, rush to, to join, to, to sign up, to serve. And you see a lot of uh, women and that lot who are wanting to, to help in some form going to the factories. And so a lot of them, they wanted to recapture this idea that they're, they're Finns, that they're, that they're own people, but that they are independent at the same time, uh, that they are own people, but part of Russia. And like, this is what happens at first in, in the beginning. And it, it was only smaller groups, like small extremist groups uh, that decided like, no, we want to be completely independent. And these are very often the student groups that, that then got into contact with uh, Swedes and Germans. And that's where you start seeing this big divide start happening around 19... 19- 15 or so so how do we get from that to war i guess there's a a change and a swing after the revolutions in russia in 1917 yeah what what we see is um in russia there's this very big divide obviously with the you know the the bolsheviks and the menshkovits and stuff and but in in finland it's not so like so divisive you more have social democrats with a handful of uh, extreme communists and stuff. Uh, and then you have the conservatives and the agrarians. Uh, and what happens is like, there's the elections very, the election that happens in this, the 6th of December or at the end of 1917 um, is very even split. There's socialists and there's the conservatives. So there, there isn't one huge power in, in charge. And so what happens is you get, everyone agrees, like, let's declare independence. We don't want to get dragged into this Russian civil war. Like, let's be separate. Let's, let's be on our own. Let's not get dragged in. And that's how it starts. But the, a lot of the more, the more extreme of the communists say, well, actually, no, we want to be, we want to be involved. And Lenin at first accepts independence of Finland but we find out that he's supplying the the extreme elements of the of the Reds that eventually they they become termed, 
with weapons and that's what leads to the Finnish civil war in in the end of January 1918. Tell us about the Petsavo expeditions. Well after Towards the end of towards towards the end of the civil war, uh, Germany start helping out with the with the white side, and they send the the Baltic division to to help out the Finns. They basically it was the Germans that actually recaptured Helsinki, the capital of Finland, in the civil war, not not the Finns. And with this, effectively, you see more of the monarchists. And the more extreme of the conservatives taking this pro-German stance, and you start seeing them calling for the election of a German prince to to lead Finland. And Finland actually becomes a kingdom towards the end of uh, 1918 in October, just before the war ends. And while this is all going on, you have the nationalism of uh, that that sort of bred in Finland expanding to not just being what Finland is today, but coming to Karelia, to Petsamo and Murmansk area in the north. And you see these smaller groups of, of whites launching attacks with support from the government, the white government and the Germans to secure those areas. You, you see the you see the Petsamo expedition starting uh, originally on the basis of the nationalism, but you see the Germans backing it because they can see it as a way to give them an ice-free port up in the north of Russia uh, for U-boats and, and so on and uh, to help strike at the, the, the North Sea traffic for, for the First World War. So then we move on, don't we, to the Vienna or the White Karelia expedition. Is that right? Yeah, and this is another one. Like, this is very weird one too while you've got the british that are in that they they sent a bunch of uh, soldiers marines and uh you you see basically this whole uh joint force of americans there's french there's serbians they've all been sent to mamanx to secure the area and they were actually originally invited by the the soviets to to help secure that area and uh, with the Finns, the Finns are like, well, we're going to we're going to take Karelia because it's rightfully ours in their nationalist ideal. And they start pushing towards the White Sea. And at first they think they're going to be welcomed with open arms by the Karelians because they believe that the Karelians are, are going to have enough uh, of Russia. And when they start pushing, they realize that that's not actually the case. And the British have sent advisors down down into a place called Kem um, on the White Sea and the the Karelian headsmen are, are approaching the the British advisors and say look can you can you help us like we don't want to join Finland but the Finns are basically pushing into our villages they're taking over and we would like to fight back and you see uh, the, the rise of this thing uh, of this unit called the Karelian Regiment, which was led by Lieutenant Colonel Woods of the Royal Irish Rifles, who had been decorated at the Battle of Somme and had been wounded later on, and was now given an opportunity to continue his service. And so he actually formed this regiment of around two thousand Karelians to start pushing back against this 
small Finnish group of nationalists who wanted to basically claim this area for greater Finland. So Finland then supports uh, Estonia in the Estonian Civil War. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So when when the war ends, uh, when the First World War ends, uh, Finland realizes that it can't stay as a as like this German client state, uh, and it starts asking for help from uh, from Britain to to maintain its independence. And Estonia does likewise; it, it wants to maintain its independence. Now you're getting the the red Russian forces pushing into both of those countries. Uh, and Finns see themselves as connected to the Estonians, and for this reason, they they allow the recruitment of some two to three thousand Finns, who most of them were veterans of the Finnish Civil War. Some of them had served in Karelia or Petsamo, and they took a they took a few ships and they just essentially just sailed right across the Gulf of Finland and landed in Estonia where they were organized into two different units and they they fought very very bravely and you see them coming uh being used they're fighting alongside the white russians they're fighting alongside estonians they're pushing towards st petersburg they're pushing into uh lithuania and they they're really proving to be an effective unit for the estonians What are we looking at in terms of success and failure at this stage? How how is it going? For Finland, I think for the majority, Finland has has managed to now prove itself uh, as a strong, like independent country that it's able to govern itself, that it doesn't need to be part of of Russia. And in the the post war sort of redividing of Europe. Uh, the White Russians were very much like saying, "No, we want to reclaim the empire," and you get these smaller states like Finland saying, "No, we would like to remain independent. Look at us; we can stay independent. We have proven." So, in that sense, Finland really proves itself capable uh, of running and defending itself. But the problem is, a lot of what happens actually comes back and and sort of has ramifications in the future we can trace a lot of the paranoia that led to the winter war actually coming from this time period where the the early soviet russia and finland early finland are fighting against each other and that then obviously leads to this paranoia that finland can attack st petersburg at any time how were the finnish troops regarded at this point when you i think it depends finns had the swedes and the norwegians saw the finns uh, as very bloodthirsty and distant cousins especially in the the wake of the white terror that happened when the the finns became the white finns became victorious there was a lot of uh mass executions uh, there was a lot of mass arrests there was concentration camps and these put a very um put a very poor light onto finland but when you read for instance the reports of the the red finnish legion that the british employed in uh, the north of russia you find that the finns were an effective unit and like they, they had 
the ability to to be very stubborn, uh, especially in defense. They would be some of the last people to to withdraw from battle. They were they seemed to be very disciplined. Being woodsmen, they were very capable of being independent thinkers, and this stood them in in high regard, especially in Estonia and and in the fighting in Karelia. So what happens next? Next gets it gets even it just gets even more messy. It seems you get you get fighting breaking out in on the borders between Finland and Russia. You get the Ukrainians who are another Finnic tribe occupying the Karelian Isthmus area of around Saint Petersburg, and they are like they they're asking for independence, and the Finns want to support them. Uh, and it basically just turned into this whole mess. And then finally, the the Finnish government, the Estonian government, and the Soviet government realizes they that they can't continue this fighting, and they decide that they're going to to meet and they're going to negotiate a treaty. And so they call for a ceasefire along all the borders, and they meet in the Estonian city of Tartu. And they start negotiating the borders of of each nation, and make agreements that neither side will interfere in the internal politics of each country. Soviet Russia agrees that the Karelians in the Iranians can have semi-autonomy, that they will respect Estonian and Finnish independence. And the Finns and the Estonians agree that the Soviet Russia, uh, Soviet Russia can also maintain its own independence. They recognize that Soviet Russia has the claims to Karelia and the areas that it has. Tell us a bit more about the Ornus expedition. So the Ornus expedition was these small southern eastern Karelian areas of Repola and Boryavi that had voted to join Finland um, in the in 1919, and Mannerheim, Marshal Mannerheim, who became who was the regent of Finland and was a an ex lieutenant general in the Imperial Russian Army uh, and a Finn by birth, he wanted to support the, the 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 advance of the British and the White Russian forces to to attack Saint Petersburg. So using the, the, the city districts of Repola and Boryavi, he pushed his troops forward and they kept pushing forwards into more and more deeper into East Karelia and kept sending out um, messages to the white Russians, to, to the British saying, all right, I'm, I'm here, I'm at this point, let's push together. We can push the Bolsheviks back. But... The, the British and the white Russian forces were not wanting to support such a move. They didn't want to see, uh, they didn't want to sort of owe the Finnish people any, any favors. And so you, so you see the, the, the Finns, they, they start losing ground because they can only put so many men into the field. The Bolshevik party is getting more organized. Uh, Trotsky essentially organizes a, amphibious assault right across Lagoga, the, the lake in the, the big lake in the center of Karelia, and cuts off the, the white Finnish supply lines 
and you they start collapsing. The, they realize that they can't continue their advance. They can't get the ammunition or the supplies that they need. And this forces the, the expedition to, to, to basically backtrack the whole way and just like bed down in Repola and Boroyavi. With that, with, with the, with them having to backtrack all the way back, this, this, and bedding down back into Repola and Boroyavi, this, essentially just stops the expedition. The government pulls out all support and, and that's it. Like just, it's just over. The next one is the Ingrian uprising. And that is Finnish and Estonian independence movements again, isn't it? Yeah, this is the area surrounding St. Petersburg. And we have another Finnic tribe and with Estonians and Finns being from the same uh, lineage, like the same genetic line, they, they want to support the Ingrians who, who want independence. They, they originally it starts as small minor rebellions as the Soviet Russians uh, start uh, getting very heavy handed and wanting to put more rules in place. But then it, then it gets into a point where you're seeing thousands of refugees cross into Estonia into Finland and they start asking for help. They want to rise up and they want to reclaim the territory. They want to either be part of Finland or they would like to be completely independent. So the Finnish government um, supports this idea um, and raises a couple of units um, under the Finnish army and they start pushing into the territory around St. Petersburg but this is at the same time as well the negotiations are going on in Tartu. And by the time that the negotiations are concluded, the, the pushing into Ingrania has stalled. And the Finnish government has already now agreed that it's going to respect the border and so withdraws its support. And the Ingranians are, are left alone with now, without any support anymore. And the Soviet Russians are now free to basically come in and crush what little elements of resistance are left. So what is the Treaty of Tartu? Uh, the, the Treaty of Tartu was essentially when Finland, when Estonia and Soviet Russia realized that they couldn't continue fighting uh, at the rate that they were, that if they kept going, that they were just going to lose more men that it would lead to more unrest. And so all three sides start looking for a way out, a way to settle the differences. Uh, Soviet Russia has a lot of other problems going on at this time. Um, it's, it's basically fighting internally. It, it can't deal with um, the external threats. And so they all decide that, okay, we're going to settle all this. And Petsamo is agreed to be Finnish. So Finland now has its ice-free port that it will now utilize for, for trade. But on the other hand, Finland agrees to give up Repola and Boroyavi. And this comes as quite a shock to, to the citizens of those districts and actually the, the leader of Repola, 
is so devastated that he he shoots himself. He commits suicide. He cannot handle uh, surrendering his city to to the Soviets. And actually, that this move, while it did save a lot of lives, was seen very negatively in Finland. Even even some of the more um, pacifist-minded uh, folks of Finland, the ones who didn't want to continue fighting or didn't didn't like to see their their sons being killed they even they were upset that the Finnish government had basically folded to the pressure uh, of Soviet Russia's claims when Finland had claimed this territory the votes had said that these areas were Finnish hey it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That isn't quite the end, is it? What is the East Karelian uprising? So in the wake of the Treaty of Tartu, one of the one of the points they agreed to was East Karelia um, would be autonomous, that it would be part of Soviet Russia, but it would have um, its own government and its own rulings, very similar to how Finland was in the Russian Empire. But as soon as the Treaty of Tartu was concluded, you see Soviet Russia ignoring the, these rules that everyone's agreed to. And you start seeing Karelian refugees crossing the border. The border guards turn a blind eye and allow them to come in. And then they start supporting them. And now Finland, Finland had, at the time, a military structure that was in two forms – they had the regular military, and then they had this Soljelovskunta, which sort of translates best into civil guard. Very similar, or sort of kind of similar to the territorials of, of, of the UK or National Guard. Um, and so you see these civil guard units start misplacing machine guns and rifles and uniforms and then they start misplacing men. Whole whole platoons of soldiers go missing on the border, and the border guards are all of a sudden very blind, and they start helping the the East Karelians. And these were East Karelians. Some of them had been only the year before fighting against the Finns when the Finns had uh, pushed in and tried to claim that territory. Now they're fighting side by side, and they're. They're sort of fighting this semi-guerrilla warfare in the in the forests against the Bolshevik Bolshevik forces, 
And while the the Reds, the, the communists, are very, very major in the city or like the towns of the area, the Finns and the Karelians um, are actually quite strong in the small outlying villages. But then Soviet Russia starts putting uh, men and material on the border of Finland in the Karelian Isthmus in the south area and starts saying, well, you promised that you wouldn't interfere in our affairs, but all of a sudden there's these several hundred uh, Finnish uniforms and machine guns and rifles turning up in Karelia and you're helping the Karelians fight us. So either you need to stop this or we're going to basically invade. And so the Finnish government has no choice but to make the border guards um, see the, the, the weapon smuggling and the, 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 the platoons of men accidentally crossing the border. And with this supply line choked and with this, this, this sort of like um, this, this boot on them, the, the East Karelian uprising starts drying up. They can't get the supplies they need. Um, you start seeing um, whole units uh, of Karelians and Finns being surrounded and having no ammunition left and just being wiped out. And the, at the end, around 1921-22, uh, you start seeing basically Finland and Russia saying, okay, this is now over. We will agree to this is how the border will be set and no longer will there be this fluid open border between the two countries. It sounds like such a tumultuous time. I mean, what do the civilian populations make of all of this? What's their experience? Well, that, that's quite interesting. You see, in the north of Finland, a lot of the population is, is very conservative and they support this idea of, of Finnish nationalism and they support the idea of claiming Karelia um, and a lot of them are very willing to to support in numerous forms color, with financial aid um, and you see a lot of academics getting involved but then you you see the civilians are in Karelia for instance in 1918 and they're, they're devastated that um, all of a sudden there's these thuggish Finns turning up and demanding milk and feeding and housing for their troops because they're now coming to liberate them. And, and so the whole thing just turns into this whole, this whole mess. The, the, the whole area, the whole region is just, it's just really, really messy. And you have no idea really who's on whose side. And for instance, you, the civilians are completely confused. The, while some do support the idea, some have no idea who's in charge anymore. And it just becomes a very weird time for anyone to live in. When do the kinship wars end? And what do you think are the most crucial long-term consequences that we're looking at? Well, officially, officially they would have ended in early 1922 when the final elements in East Karelia are, are mopped up by the Red Army. Um, but you can, you can argue that there were still small elements um, in terms of propaganda 
where you going on for many years afterwards, but officially 1922 would have been the, the ending point. You, the long-term consequences would have been, it was very heavy financially for Finland as you see thousands of refugees needing to be housed. And a lot of these refugees, while they would have been Finnic in their, in their, in their line, their genetic lineage, they're, they're culturally very, very different. And so it gets very hard of where you're going to put these refugees. They're not going to, they're not going to like sort of mold with the society of Finland. You, you see a lot of newspapers and a, uh, a lot of media in general becoming very anti-Russia, uh, anti-Soviet in their in ideals. And this sort of leads to Russia being able, like Soviet Russia being able to play the victim card uh, all through the 1920s and all through the early 1930s saying, look, like Finland is making us the bad guys. They're, they're telling us we eat babies and, and, and we're going to be the, the, the really horrible uh, to all these innocent people. And all we're trying to do is be the liberator of the people. And while, it's always with the baby eating, isn't it? It's always the first accusation. I know, it's always a baby eating. and <laughs> I, I It's so weird. <laughs> We've been doing stuff from all over history, and it's like the worst thing you could ever say about anyone is you eat babies, isn't it, Alina? Yes, yes it is. It's come up <laughs> everywhere. Uh, like it, it's so it's it's so odd. I don't, I don't understand it. But I think the biggest consequence from all this was the paranoia in in Russia, especially from Stalin and the heads of uh, of Soviet Russia, believing that their weakest point was through Finland. That either Finland or any country that supported Finland, Germany, Britain, France, uh, Sweden, all they needed to do was pushed through Finland and they could cause a lot of destruction to to their country and this this is part of the reason why when you're leading up to the winter war in 1939 uh, Soviet Russia Stalin and Molotov are really really pushing for Finland to dismantle its defensive border and to retreat several several tens of miles into their own territory so that they can secure the border. Ultimately, what plays out in the years to come? So you see a lot of back and forth diplomatically. Um, Finland all of a sudden discovers very um, large amounts of nickel deposits in Petsamol um, and, and Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union is very jealous of, of, of these deposits. They're very rich. Um, you start seeing um, tensions rise through the propaganda of the Finnish government. In reciprocation, you see uh, the Soviet uh, the Soviet Union having very similar propaganda. Uh, you see tit for tat um, in terms of trade. You see um, very vital grain supplies to Finland being stopped all of a sudden. You start seeing uh, Finland put huge tariffs all of a sudden. So there's this always this back and forth, this tension uh, between the two, two sides and the, the diplomats on either side are either not talking or they're being very heavy handed. 
And this leads to more and more. You see small border incidents where border guards accidentally cross into each other's territory. And it starts getting so bad that you start seeing more, more and more international involvement. And in 1932, you, there is a special, um, rule put in place that neither, neither border guards were allowed to open fire on each other, that any incidents had to involve, uh, judicial, uh, co international investigation. And this back and forth keeps coming. You see a, you see a non-aggression pack being made in 1934. And this is reaffirmed in 1938. But at the same time, you start seeing Russia making demands uh, on Finland that they had to give up certain territory. And in return for these developed territories in the Karelian Isthmus, that they would give them the undeveloped East Karelian territory in in return. And this just leads solely up to the Winter War, where Finland uh, and Russia and Soviet Union are just incapable of seeing eye to eye anymore. Both sides are totally distrustful of each other. Thank you so much, Lawrence, for coming on and giving it. I'm a complete blank state when it comes to Finnish history. Uh, I have no shame in admitting it. It's just completely passed me by. So to have some understanding of what's gone on in the decades before I get to the tiny bit I know in World War II um, is going to be really useful. So thank you so much for coming and sharing that with us. Thank you for having me. And if people want to listen to your podcast, what's it called and where do they find it? It's Finland at War. And you'll find that at finlandatwar.com. And is it on Spotify and Apple and that sort of thing? Um, I'm transferring it to Spotify soon, hopefully, if I can get it all working. Perfect. Thanks so much. Join us tomorrow when Melissa DeVelvis will be with us to talk all about women and the Civil War, particularly nurses and the American Civil War. This was a brilliant chat and stuff that I had never even considered about the absolute cultural shock that these women encountered when war ended up on their doorstep. So don't miss that. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.